0: Doing? Good. Good. Yeah. Good. I love it when five of you are good. Um, okay, go ahead and go to Mark, chapter three. We're moving oh, awesome. through Mark, man. Yes. We've still got some more to go. We're chapter three. We're in it. Um, man, so I something I've always loved is, is the, the feeling of of, of of an underdog rising up. You know what I mean? Mm. It's it's cheap. Cheap. It's it's the <laughs> like I historically I've never been a person who's like good at stuff. Right? I, like I don't have a lot of intrinsic talents, right? And so anything that I, you could market my Daniel is kind of good at, I've had to be really, really bad at it for a really long time before I got anywhere near proficient at it, right? So there's always just there's like that kind of spirit that I enjoy. Uh, you know, even uh, Renee mentioned that she passed her, her driving test. That's fantastic, man. That's great. Yeah, yeah we can clap. That's a clappable thing. Uh, thank you. We've had the clap talk. If you're going to do it, you got to do it. Confess, Dan. Come on, confess. I just love that because, you know, I, I passed it too. But I, I passed on my fifth try. <laughs> That's, hey, That's hey, not a possible thing. That's no, all right. That's a no. But anyway, so th- like, so there's something, man. I just love about the characters in the Bible, because like, rarely is somebody presented as somebody who's marketable and what they can do, right? I mean, Saul, the first king, first king of like, he was like he had like worldly attractive qualities about him, and he tanked the thing, right? Like, he tanked it, on, un- like he tanked his, his kingship. So there's just something I love, I think is intrinsic in the Bible, about God taking inadequate people, inadequate people, and doing something amazing Amen. with them. Amen. So we're in Mark chapter 3, and something that, that is accounted here is Jesus calling his 12 apostles. He takes a group of men up with them to the mountainside, he names them, and we get the names here, I'm just going to go ahead and read this right here real quick. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. And then it lists the twelve. All right. Now, now here's what I love about this. There's something that really sticks out to me here. Is Jesus called them and appointed them so that they could be with him. Right. So he takes this this group of 12 men and something, when you start digging into the background of these men, you start learning a little bit about them. Four of them were fishermen. Uh, one of them was like like a, a, a Jewish, like uh, zealous a radical guy like that would have likely been involved in some sort of rebellions. There was, there was a tax collector there, and we already talked about, man, how tax collectors were looked at at that time. They're just some Jewish, Greek, like it was just really weird group of people that, that like if you went out at that time, wouldn't have brought them together and, and made a team out of them. They, they wouldn't have been the guys. You wouldn't have looked at them and been like, well, those are some great guys. Let's bring them together and choose them to turn the world upside down. That's not how you'd have looked at these men. It's not how you'd have looked at that team. And so there's something amazing about how Jesus brought these men together and and did something world-changing with them. So I'm going to start off with that, and we're going to come right around back to that in the end. But then it goes on to say, and this is going to be kind of our, our text for today, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Let's skip to verse 30. All right, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent somebody in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Verse 33. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. He then looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So he calls this group of, of just kind of different people together, right? And he's sitting here, and he's teaching with a crowd of disciples. There's a crowd of disciples, but these apostles are there, all right? And so when asked, he's like, okay, your family's looking for you. And he says, well, who is my family? So he looks at that group of men, the apostles included, and said, these are my brothers and sisters and mothers, those who do well. God. Amen. So, so something that, that is amazing, what's going on here, that I see, and this is going to kind of like my thesis for today, is that God, Jesus, following Jesus, will radically reorient the way you relate with the people around you. Yeah. It right. will radically change the, the, the potential you see in relationships. It will radically reorganize your priorities and who you love and why. It will radically change the way you relate to those around That's you. true. And so he looked at this group of, of these random people with his family was outside and said, this is my family, this is my family. Now this would have been nuts for Jesus to do, all right, for the firstborn of a family who at the time was tasked with providing for the family, especially in the absence of dad, which dad is absent at this point, we don't know why, so to have the oldest son leave his family, travel around preaching, come back to the family he left and be like, you're not my family, this is my family, would have been unbelievably radical. So from their point of view, they're, I mean, we don't really know why they said he was crazy. Okay, maybe he can't eat. Maybe, well, maybe it's because he says he's saying he's God, and I'm not really buying that yet. We need to go talk to Jesus because he's going around telling people he's God. Either way, they're coming and they're having this this negative, they're having this negative impact of Jesus's radical mis- uh, uh, ministry. It's having a ne- negative impact on the relationship with his family. That is significant. That is significant. For, for, from their point of view, they're like, okay, we're just going to get our brother. I'm just going to go get my son. And for to hear that as a response. Now, the good news is his family, a lot of his family ends up believing and following him, right? But, but yeah. this would really have yeah. been really hard to swallow. This would have been really yeah. hard to swallow. And so something I see embedded in here, and I think this is kind of the center of it. I'm going to reread verse 35. This is really where it's at. We're going to just dive into this today. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister so there's something that, that radically, like Jesus radically changed the way we relate with people. And then there's something supernatural about doing the will of God that pulls us together in a family. Those who do the will of God are my brothers, sisters, and mothers. That, that as we uh, come together, as we do life together and we follow the will of God together, there's something about that that bonds us and brings us in and, and knits us tightly to one another. So my question is, okay, what does it mean by doing the will of God? Now, that's a whole sermon series on what the will of God is. But I have a couple things I just kind of want to put before us that kind of kind of guide us in this. Because here at the end of the day, my worry is that we're not walking in relationships this closely. And I think a lot of us are, but I think maybe some of us are. I just feel like, man, we could be missing out on something amazing. Before I get further in, before I go to the next scripture, I've got to tell you something awesome that happened yesterday. Um, Stacey and I, at our house, had over the, the campus leadership from our fellowship of churches across the state, cool. and we had this awesome, uh, you know, fellowship and lunchtime time and kind of sharing and interacting, and, and something that, that i I, I think many of us are accustomed to a certain level of, of connection and unity across a region in our fellowship of churches. But just the reality is, because of how new our churches are in Oregon, that network has not really been set up yet, and so we brought people together. was like, man, we need to talk about what we. How do we do this? How do we be close? We've got to lay the foundation for these relationships. And uh, in the, the scripture that, that we talked about was John 13, 34. commandment I give you, love one another, So you must love one another. And so the real question is when it comes to unity and comes to bonding, it's okay, we've got to ask ourselves the question: do we love one another? Because unity will be the fruit of love. Right? Unity will be the fruit of love. So we're gonna come right, right back around to that. But for now, um, I want to mention this, just write these down. I'm gonna go through some scriptures, we're not gonna turn to all of them together. John 6. Verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. So first little tangent about doing God's will together. As we read through the scriptures, there's a ton of scriptures, there's a ton of different verses and texts that say, man, God's will is this, God's will is this, da, da, da. there's a lot of that. But kind of a trend you see is that there's a big picture will. Right? So I'm just calling I'm calling this the cosmic will, right? Is that all things be sanctified and redeemed to God Amen. in relationship with God. That's that's big picture right? And then there's the kind of day-to-day will of God. And for this, I, I want to go to this scripture. This is Romans chapter uh, 12. Let's go to this and read this together. Because we see this balance of big picture will, but then how does God's will play out day-to-day in our lives? So Romans chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1. And I, I love this scripture. Maybe one of my favorites. Therefore, Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So if we start out right here right in this conversation about God's will, the way that Paul sets this up is that he's like, yes, offer our bodies as living sacrifices, but we do this in view of God's mercy. So that's kind of what, what roots us in our ability to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, that we, that we connect intimately with God's mercy in our life. And it's the view of that mercy that drives us to give ourselves over wholly to doing his will in our life. Because something kind of clicks in us where we realize, okay, God has shown me something in my life that I didn't do anything to deserve or earn. And man, that just kind of overflows in a desire to please him and to do his will. but I'll keep moving on. Uh, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I, now I think of a question I struggle with often is what is God's will for my life? Like, What does he have for me? What is his plan for me? Because if you have any experience as a Christian, you know once you get baptized, God doesn't give you a, an itinerary for the for what the rest of your life is going to look like. If that has happened, you tell me, because that would be awesome, and I need to get in. Like, whatever you're doing, I need to figure that out. But this is, like, not something that happens to us. And so I think a lot of us can kind of just, like, okay, what does God want for me? What am I supposed to do? I kind of have these passions. I don't know how to allocate them. I kind of have this desire. I don't know if this is my, my desire or God's desire. How do I fight these things? And so Paul gives us a nugget here that tells us, okay, how, just a clue and how we can start deciphering this will. And it's that we don't conform to the pattern of the world, mm. but rather we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we'll be able to test this pleasing to you. <laughs> So what's a clue in deciphering God's will for our life? That, that we engage in, in relationships where we are not conforming to the pattern of the world. Now, I love this because Jesus kind of did this in this Mark 3 text. That was not him being uh, jiving with the code. That was I'm sorry I said jive. You didn't deserve that. You deserve that. <laughs> but like he, he wasn't connecting with the culture when he uh, said that this is my family. And so we kind of see this awesome precedent to be countercultural to what's around us so that we can be pleasers of God and not pleasers of man. Like that we walk in a way that we're not thinking that, okay, oh my gosh, I, I just think there's something deep in us that, like, we walk around in the relationships we have, and we can kind of have this feeling of, please like me, right, as we're walking around and doing things. Like, and I, I just see this in, in social media because nobody posts a selfie of them at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning when they've just woken up and they've, like, right, and they've just kind of got drool on their face. Nobody snaps <laughs> that selfie and says, living life or YOLO, right? That doesn't happen, right? There's something in us that desires to, to be liked by people around us. Yeah. Bible says, no, do not conform to the pattern of the world. Again, this is kind of a whole other sermon. There's this precedent that we don't become pleasers of men but pleasers of God. Again, let's look at another scripture, Galatians chapter 1. We're going to look at this a little bit more. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. Now the context of this as Paul's writing to, to the church. And, and so pre- they've been converted in. They've been preached the gospel to. And, and so something happened where this church started to go back to another way. of like. It, basically, Paul says, look, somebody's preached to you a gospel, and it's a false gospel. There are many false gospels out there. And this gospel was kind of wrapped up in, in going back to the law and in, in pleasing man. But this is what it says in, in chapter 1, verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so I love this scripture, and I realize we haven't really preached on this, but man, this is like one of my foundational scriptures for my daily walk with God because in my nature, I want to be a people pleaser. I want to do what's right. I want to fit in. I want to mesh in with the world around me, especially because I never was really a competent guy, right? I never was really a guy that was really good at things or whatever. And so, like, I would do what I could to fit in or please people. But, man, there's just something so freeing about following Jesus and reorienting the way you relate to people. and All of a sudden, your life is not about pleasing the people around you, but pleasing the God who loves you. On, and that's an amazing thing. And to me, that's like a weight off of my shoulders that I don't got to walk around thinking, man, I really hope these people like me. Man, I get to walk around and be like, man, I really hope I'm following God's will today. Why? Because I've seen the mercy that he's shown me, and I want to exhibit that and display that and walk in it because it's so much more of a fulfilling life than trying to please the people around me because no matter what, I will always fall short in somebody's Amen. eyes. Come on, man. Always, because we're sinners and we'll always find a way for people to fall short. So there's this freeing weight that gets lifted off of our chest when Christ radically redefines the way we look at one another and relate to one another and begin to endeavor to do God's will with one another. We're not pleasing man, we're pleasing God. need to walk in doing his will and so part of this, right, I'll get a little bit practical kind of towards the end, but part of this is daily sanctification, not being conformed, to, sorry, that's a weird church word, I'll get to it, not being conformed by the pattern of the world, but by walking in daily sanctification, sanctification is pretty much the process of being made more and more like Jesus, mm-hmm. I'm just going to break it down. So we, we, we wrap ourselves around in these relationships where people are helping us be more and more like Jesus. That we're doing something, man. I just there's something amazing that happens when we get with somebody and we confess a sin in our life. Yeah. And, and we get help with it. And we, we get shown scripture about it. And then we get to pray, we get to ask for God's forgiveness, knowing that He'll be faithful to give it. And there's something so powerful when we're walking in relationships where we're okay saying the stuff we're struggling in, knowing that we're gonna get help with it and we want to grow from it. And then these are the kind of relationships where we start to get be able to get real with one another, and no longer is it about trying to keep up this facade of who we uh, think we should be, but rather we get to be who we really are, expecting growth in it because we're doing God's will with one another. Amen. Countercultural, renewing ourselves by transforming our mind. Man, this is an amazing life, and I just think it's so much better than the alternative. Yeah. I'm just trying to please, man. That's a that's a horrible trap. It's a horrible trap. So, I think there's something amazing to be had here. Now Christ redefines the way we look at each other and how we walk, try to endeavor walking in and doing that will with one another. Again, there's the cosmic will, but then there's the day to day will. And again, you can do a whole study on God's will. Please do it. This, I'm not offering, this is not like, here's, here's the word on how to look at God's will. This is just a small window on how to look at it on a big yeah, scale and on a day to day scale. Let's go to John chapter 13, verse 34. Let's just go ahead and read that. I'm going to start to close this thing out, which I know probably surprises some of you. (coughs) So we're going to go to John chapter 13. I really do want to end off here because yesterday was a powerful experience with those campus Mm. ministers. It was a powerful experience to sit around in a room and talk about, okay, what do we do? What does it look like to love one another? John 13, verse 34. Go ahead and read this. I think some of us are really familiar with it. It's always good to read this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, so Jesus in the garden, like in going through spiritual, mental, emotional turmoil, is having like a last little get together with his disciples before being arrested and going to the cross. And, and so, we, man, these chapters right here I think are so amazing because we get to see so much of Jesus' heart right before going to the cross. If you haven't taken a deep dive into these chapters, man, do it. They're so good. And so Jesus says this. He's like, okay, guys, I I have to give you a new command. This is significant because Jesus just didn't go out throwing out all these commands. This is pretty unique. He says you have to love one another the way I've loved you. But think back to our our Mark uh, 3 scripture where he had this group around him. He said these are my brothers, sisters, and mothers. We can know with confidence, looking back on that group, that that's how he was loving that group we can look back in confidence with those 12 apostles that he would have loved them in such a way. But now he's given this commandment. Guys, you've got to do this. You've got to show the love that I've showed you. Now, this is significant because this is just to his disciples. Like we already know about the command to, to love people, love your neighbor. We know about that command. But he's like bringing this in. He's like, no, my disciples, those of you who are following me, you have to create this culture of love within you that is just like the love that I have showed you you know what he says happens when we create that culture of love? That the world will know that there is disciples. Mm-hmm. That if we go after creating that culture of love here, like the world will know. There will be something about the way that we walk, the way that we talk, the way that yeah. we interact yeah. with one another. That people outside of Christianity or people outside of this church will look at it and be like, Dang, those people have been with Jesus. There's something different about their life. There's, some, there's, there's a way that they relate to one another that is deeper than what I'm used to, that is powerful, that is friendly, that is amazing. And there's something so huge at stake here. We must be connected like this as a church. This is a command from Jesus, that we love one another this way. So this is the question I would ask for this room. Like, do you, i like, put this question in your mind. Do I love the people here? The person on your left, person on your right, person on the other side of the room, do I love that person? Obviously, we can't be totally 100% connected to everybody in a room. But maybe you ask yourself this question. Do I love these people? I think I've spoken a little bit about this in the past, but I, I didn't grow up close to my family. There's a lot, of, a lot of emotional, there's a lot of stunted emotional growth in my life and in my family. And moving here, having a phone call with my dad and him saying I love you before hanging up the phone shook me and blew my mind because that's just not something that happened. Wow. And so being able to walk with people, like yeah. like I found a family where I never really had family. This is not to knock my parents away. I know they love me, and I love them. But I found something so deep, being in a relationship with people that are trying to follow Jesus. Yes, come on. Paul says something in Philippians. He's like, do you have any encouragement from being united with the body of Christ? He's calling him to think, Do, do you, are you encouraged by the body? Do you appreciate the gift that is given to us by the body of Christ, by being in the kingdom? I was calling this, man, think about this. Do you appreciate this? Do you get it, what God has given us? Because he didn't have to give us this. He didn't have to give us the command to be connected, be united, be in family with one another. But he did, and it's beautiful and it's amazing. Amen. Amen. I just think there's deep relationships on the table here that maybe we're not grabbing. Maybe we're not going after. Now, we're doing something really cool later, later this month. We're going to be doing a, a midweek all together. Right? This is something a lot of churches do, but we really haven't done it. But a lot of people have wanted it. It's like, man, I want to get to know other people. Like, I just want more of this. And while it's so cool when, when we get feedback saying people want more of this right here, yeah. that's a pretty cool feedback. Yeah. So we're going to get together. and We're going to have it all together midweek. And, man, I'm just so encouraged that we start building relationships across ministries. And the, 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 you, young men in the campus ministry, get to know some of these older men in this room. Learn yeah. lessons from them. Some of the most impactful people in my life are some of the marrieds back to the church in El Paso. And the way they grew me up, raised me up, <laughs> helped me out, gave me advice that I didn't take a lot of time and regretted later. And they really built me up and loved up on it. Yeah. Created this family. So I'd ask us, do you, lo- do you love the people in this room? Because there's some amazing relationships on the table. That maybe we're not grabbing, maybe. Maybe a lot of you are. If you are, great, man, awesome. But if you are, grab it, grab it. There's something huge at stake here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To end this off, I- Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Because remember, we have, this, we have this group of kind of weird guys. And they really didn't do so great all the time following Jesus. Peter got rebuked by Jesus. Jesus called Peter Satan. It's like, Satan, get behind me, right? If I was Peter, I'd be like, bro, whoa, hold on. Like, why are you calling me Satan? Like, like, a lot of times they didn't even understand what was going on during the transfiguration. Uh, where Peter's uh, or Jesus is on this mountain, Peter come, has come up with him, and he's talking to Moses and Elijah, and it's crazy, right? And Peter's like, "Dude, you ever get some beds ready or something?" Like, like there's just kind of weird things happening. I mean, you look at look at James and John, man, these, these brothers here, um, they, they 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 like they have a negative interaction with somebody in the scripture, like Jesus. Should we call down fire on them? Right? It's just like he's like, no, no, we're not gonna do that. Like there were always like um, Douglas Jacobi, a teacher in our church, has this has this phrase. I think it's really good. Jesus was always on channel one, and disciples were always on channel two. Right? But he took, that's not mine, right? Just go look, he's got it. look up Douglas Jacoby. he's got great stuff. And he took this group of people that were on, always on channel two. Maybe you wouldn't have put them together, often did a poor job following Jesus. And, and it says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. And we get to see Peter post-resurrection resu- post and ascension. Man. Now it's on Peter to, to lead this church and to lead the way and to preach the gospel. And he's the rock that, that Jesus is building the church on. And he has an interaction with some officials. And it's just so cool to see Peter, all right, to see Peter right now in Acts. In chapter 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a whole point in and of itself, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Then they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Man, this Peter is a far cry from what we see in the Gospels, isn't it? It's yeah. like the stone you builders rejected, right? Like he's saying out these boss things. And, and you know what they noticed about him? They didn't say, wow, Peter's this really cool guy. They said, wow, no, Peter, he is an unschooled, ordinary man, but he has walked with Jesus. Come on. He was with him. He sounds like him. This guy was with Jesus. This is a far cry from the Peter in the Gospels. But, um, but I love that Jesus took that group of just different people failed often, Showed him, showed them his <laughs> love for them. Then commanded them to show each other the same love, right. and then to see the way that transformed these men. And you know what happened? John thirteen scripture actually became true. Yes. By the love you show one another, they're gonna know. And you know what those guys just noticed that they've been with Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the impact that we can have in our lives. We have to be willing to walk in these relationships, to allow Jesus to redefine the way we relate to one another. Yep. Believe it or not, people in this room are the most important people in your life. Isn't that crazy? It's yeah. more mm-hmm. important than anything else. In your family. That's nuts. That's nuts. If we accept that, then we endeavor to do the will of God together. Men, get ready, ready for some powerful transformation. Amen. You will not, but do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be countercultural in your, your devotion to Jesus. Yeah. And then watch your life and the people's lives around you be transformed. It's transformed. I would hope that we can look at these apostles as an example. They brought them together. Jesus transformed them, realizing we can do that too. Let's come together. Let's love one another the way Jesus loved us. Let's be united. Let's be transformed. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray this thing out. God, we thank you so much for, for your son and your his example. Uh, that he set for us, and even these commands, to know what's on the table here, to know the life that's on the table, that the relationships are on the table, that that are free to grab. We just have to go grab them. I I pray that we can fight whatever's in us that resists these things, the the pride, the the desire for isolation. God, help me fight these things in my heart and always call me back to remember who you've made me, That I'm nothing. God, you do something with people who feel like they're nothing. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. Pray you saint your son's name. Amen. 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 I right, love you guys. Thank you so much.